Bless the Lord, oh my soul. All right. Uh, invite you to turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 146, Psalm 146 and verse 1. Uh, but really, today's message, I, I'm using a, a, a scripture text, but we're really, it's a, it's a singing sermon today. It's a singing sermon, and we're going to be looking at one of the great hymns of the faith, It Is Well With My Soul. And uh, the reason I'm doing that is kind of today's a musical day. So in late service, we've got the quartet. I've got my music tie on this morning. And so I thought we would just look at this great, uh, one of my favorites, It Is Well With My Soul. And when I say we're going to sing through it, I'm going to preach a little bit, and then we're going to sing a little bit. And so uh, I'll have the words up here on the screen, most of which you probably know anyway. Uh, But anyway, It Is Well With My Soul, beginning with Psalm 146 and verse 1. And the reason I've chosen that is because this verse is quoted in verse 3 of It Is Well With My Soul. Would you stand with me out of honor to God and his word as I read. Psalm 146 and verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Let me read it again. Praise ye the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Thank you. May be seated. Well, we are looking at this great hymn today, and, and I know you've heard the old joke about different hymns for the different professions, like uh, for the dentist, uh, their favorite hymn is crown him with many crowns, or the electrician, their favorite hymn is send the light, or the IRS agent, his favorite hymn is I surrender all, or even the gossip, the gossip's favorite hymn is pass it on. But what about hymns for older folks, all right? These are hymns for, for older people, uh, like uh, precious Lord, take my hand, and help me up. Or how about this? It is well with my soul, but my knees still hurt. Or how about this? Just a slower walk with thee. Count your many birthdays. Name them one by one. Go tell it on the mountain, but speak up. How about this one? Blessed insurance. Blessed insurance. Uh, This one's for me. Morning has broken, but I was up all night anyway. And guide me, O thou great Jehovah, I've forgotten where I parked. So anyway, those are some hymns. Uh, Let's look, though, at It Is Well With My Soul. By way of introduction, the lyrics for It Is Well With My Soul were written by Horatio Spafford. Now, Horatio Spafford lived from 1828 to 1888. He was a prominent American lawyer in Chicago. He was also a Presbyterian church elder, which is something like a Baptist church deacon. He was a supporter and good friend of D.L. Moody. Now, if you know uh, D.L. Moody, Moody Church, Moody Bible Institute, uh, that's the same D.L. Moody. Now, he wrote the lyrics, but the tune was written by Philip Bliss. And Philip Bliss lived 1838 to 1876. He was from Clearfield County, Pennsylvania. He was also associated with D.L. Moody. And you probably know some other tunes by Philip Bliss, such as Almost Persuaded, Hallelujah, What a Savior, Wonderful words of life, and this is a really oldie but goodie, hold the fort. Anyway, to get started today, let's sing the first verse of It Is Well With My Soul. That's you. (laughs) When peace like a Attendeth my way when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast thought 
say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well with my soul. So as we begin to look at this hymn, we want to look at sorrow, sorrow. Horatio Spafford, who wrote the tune, was overwhelmed with grief. He lost his four-year-old son to scarlet fever. He lost his real estate fortune in the great Chicago fire. Do you remember that from history? Uh, Mrs. O'Leary's cow knocked over the bucket or whatever. Uh, He lost his real estate fortune in that. Two years later, he lost his four daughters in a shipwreck aboard the SS Vildehav. Now, when the SS Vildehav went down, it was the worst naval disaster in history until the Titanic. It sank in 12 minutes. 226 people died, including his four daughters. Now his wife survived, and she sent him a message by telegraph, saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone. She had been with the four girls. They all perished. She survived. She sends him this telegraph, saved alone, what shall I do? Interestingly, the tune, we just sang the tune, the tune is named Ville de Havre after that faded uh, shipwreck. There even seems to be a parallel with biblical Job and Horatio Spafford. I mean, think about it. Uh, Job lost his wealth. Spafford lost his wealth in the great Chicago fire. Uh, uh, Horatio Spafford lost his family, all except his wife, and just like biblical Job. And while Horatio Spafford did not lose his health, as Job did, all of this certainly affected his health. When you lose all your wealth, when you lose all your family, except your wife, it's got to affect you mentally, and that can affect you physically. Well, anyway, back to Horatio Spafford. While traveling by ship to see his wife, he asked the captain to inform him when they passed over the spot where his daughters had perished. And the words came to Horatio as they passed over the spot. And these are the words. When sorrows like sea billows roll. Though overwhelmed with grief, Spafford experienced God's peace like a river. And that's why he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way. When sorrows like sea billows roll. That all happened in the Atlantic Ocean right over the spot where his daughters and 220 two other people had perished. How can that be? It is because God comforts his people. Paul stated that God comforts those who are cast down. Look here at 2 Corinthians 7, 6. Nevertheless, God who comforts those who are cast down. Paul also called God the God of all comfort in 1 Corinthians 1, 3. I know I have 2 Corinthians there. It says, Blessed be God, even the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is the sole provider of comfort in its most authentic form. He is the divine fount of all comfort. His comfort is completely adequate for every circumstance that we face. Not only that, but God sent His Spirit to be a comforter. The Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Here in John 14, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father, and He will send you another comforter that He may abide with you forever. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So the Holy Spirit is called the comforter. Now the word comforter in the Greek there means one who comes alongside. But when you're discouraged and down, you want somebody to come alongside you, don't you? That's exactly what you want. That's exactly what you need. That's exactly what he does. But I want to point out something I point out many times before in the second line of that verse where it says another comforter. The word another in Greek means another of the same kind. In other words, Jesus was a comforter for his disciples. He came alongside them. He was getting ready to leave. He said, I'm going to send you another comforter of the same kind. And so in other words, this comforter, the Holy Spirit, he's going to be just like having me here. God's presence is often most evident when we are in need of his comfort. And God comforts us by speaking spirit to spirit mysteriously. That's what happened to Horatio Spafford. They're going across the spot where his daughters perished. And God's peace came to him. God's comfort came to him. Speaking mysteriously spirit to spirit. And in fact, Jesus promised us peace. He promised us peace. In John 14 and verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants peace. But two types of peace exist. There's worldly peace. Now, worldly peace is temporary. Worldly peace is fragile because it relies on humans to keep it. Worldly peace carries the fear that it won't last. And worldly peace requires much hard But in contradistinction to worldly peace, there is godly peace. Paul describes godly peace like this in Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understandings, shall keep. That word literally means guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Unlike worldly peace, godly peace is eternal. As Jesus said there in John 14, 27, not as the world gives, I give to you. It is eternal. It is permanent because it relies on an unchanging God to keep it. It carries no fear because it will last as long as God lasts. And it requires no effort on our part. Again, Jesus said, my peace I give to you. I give to you. Be assured no matter what comes our way, we have God's comfort and peace and our souls are well. Now that you understand where verse 1 came from again, let's sing it again, verse 1. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul, it is well with my soul, it is well, it is well. 
Well, we looked at sorrow. Next, I want to look at Satan. I want you to know that Satan is a real person. He's not a figment of the imagination. He's not a mythological creature. He is real. Jesus knew he was real. Peter knew he was real. Paul knew he was real. Satan is just as real as you and I are real. However, Satan has successfully propagated the story that he's just a myth. And most people believe that Satan's a myth. Even in the church, most people believe Satan's just a myth. He's not. He's real. Satan is created and managed by God. He is not God's equal. God and Satan are not equal opposites. Satan is the enemy of God, and he's the enemy of God's people. Yet God uses Satan for God's own purposes and plans. But know this, that Satan can only act with God's knowledge and permission. We learn that again from the book of Job, where Job's been, been crisscrossing the earth, and he comes to see God, and God says, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, Well, yeah, I know he's a good guy, but look how you blessed him. You let me take away everything he's got, and he'll curse you. And so God says, Go ahead. You can take away what he's got. And Satan does. And yet, Job does not curse the Lord. And so Satan comes back to God. He says, listen, God, uh, you let me take his health. And as soon as I take his health away, he'll curse you. God says, go ahead. And he goes out and he takes away Job's health. And even in this, the Bible says, Job did not curse God. And so what we see here is that Satan can only do to people or to the world or to anything else only that for which he has permission and God knows about it. Satan is powerful, but he's not all powerful like God is. But Satan is certainly more powerful than we are and will ever be. And even though Satan is so powerful, he does his best work subtly. He's sneaky. Yeah, he could just show up and make a big deal, but instead he works behind the scenes subtly. Though God is sovereign over the entire universe, he actually allows Satan to rule here for now. In fact, I want you to see what Paul calls him in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. He says, in whom the God of this world. Now that's a little g, God, little g. And that's on purpose. Because he's talking about Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Now, Satan can and will knock us around. He's not responsible for everything bad that happens. I know uh, we tend to follow Flip Wilson on that and say, well, the devil made me do it. He is not responsible for everything that happens. But he is responsible for plenty. But no matter what happens, we have this blessed assurance. Number one, God loves us. Number two, no matter what happens, we can handle it. Look what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. And so no matter what happens, we know that God loves us. We know that we can handle it. And we know, thirdly, we are bought and paid for by Jesus Christ. By God's grace and power, we can send Satan packing. Look what James writes in James 4, 7. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
So why did I spend so much time talking about Satan? Because that's the next verse we're going to sing from It Is Well With My Soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. So we've seen sorrow, we've seen Satan. Thirdly, I want us to look at sin. Now, sin brings death, but forgiveness brings life. Our sins are completely forgiven through Christ. Not in part, but the whole. Spafford says that our sins were nailed to the cross. Well, actually, Jesus was nailed to the cross, and our sins were placed on him, and the scriptures say that he became sin for us. Look here in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus bore our sins on the cross, so we no longer do. We are forgiven immediately. We are forgiven completely. We are forgiven eternally. And forgiven sin brings joy. Forgiven sin brings joy. It brings joy, first of all, to Jesus. Look at Hebrews 12, 2, talking about Jesus before he went to the cross. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Not only does it bring joy to Jesus, it brings joy to the angels in heaven. Look at Luke 15, 10. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repents. And forgiven sin brings joy not only to Jesus, to the angels, but to the saved. Initially, the first time when you become forgiven of your sins, you say, wow, what a relief. I'm forgiven. What a relief. I'm on my way to heaven. But not only does it bring joy to the saved initially, but continually. What a blessing to live, forgiven, having eternal life. So forgiven sin brings joy to Jesus, to the angels, and to the saved. But forgiven sin not only brings joy, it brings praise. We praise God for his grace and forgiveness. We praise God for all eternity. Let's sing verse 3 about our sin, which happens to be my favorite verse. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul, it is well. 
with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. So we've seen sorrow, we've seen Satan, we've seen sin. Next, I want us to look at sight. We walk by faith, not sight. But one day our faith will be sight. Spafford alludes to the rapture in verse 4. He says, The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. Jesus will return. Here's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The trumpet will sound, the Lord shall descend, the archangel will shout, and all believers will ascend to meet the Lord. And according to 1 Corinthians 13, 12, we will see Jesus face to face. And we will experience heaven for ourselves forever. Let's sing verse 4 about when our faith becomes sight and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll the trump shall so this morning we've looked at sorrow. That's where this hymn came from. Deep, deep sorrow. Then we looked at Satan. We looked at sin. We looked at sight. And there's just one last obvious place we need to look. And that is the soul. Spafford states that his soul was well. In spite of his tragic grief, his soul was well. In spite of Satan's attacks, his soul was well. In spite of his past sinfulness, his soul was well. In spite of his ignorance of future chronology, he didn't know when Jesus was coming back. His soul was well. And I want to leave this with you. A soul that is well is a soul that is saved. Now what do I mean by a soul that is saved? That is a soul, that is an individual who has received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, who believes that Jesus died on the cross to pay for his sins, that Jesus was buried for his sins, and the third day Jesus rose again from the dead. This is a soul that is well, a soul that is saved, a soul that has received Christ as personal Savior. So I want to ask you, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? There's only one way to make it well. That's through Christ. Not through joining the church. Not through being baptized. Not through giving money. Not through sitting through the Glory Way Quartet at 11 o'clock. If your soul is to be well, your soul needs to be saved. 
And your soul can only be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's conclude this morning by singing just the chorus one last time. Yeah, I switched it up on you. Oh, well. <laughs> It is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? It is well with mine. And by grace through faith, it can be well with yours, not only now, but forever. Let's pray.